Today's episode of the Heart of Giving podcast is part of a special series we call Made by the Bay. During these episodes, we get to feature amazing people in the Bay Area who are shaping the social landscape of that community. We're grateful for the generous support of Tipping Point Community for making these episodes possible. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here, we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Today, we're going to have a conversation with a woman who is indeed shaping in her own way the community that she lives in out in the Bay Area. And I want to just read you what I see as her life's philosophy that I uncovered here doing my own little research about her. Her life is dedicated to the betterment of community while her resume spans law firms, political campaigns, high school, college counseling, and nonprofit directorship, at the core of each experience is a deep passion for improving the livelihood of individuals and families. Now, if there was ever a prototypical persona for the Heart of Giving podcast, it is indeed Lasunda Tate. Lasunda, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Wow. Thank you, Art, for those kind words. Um, and thank you for having me today. So I want to talk about where in the world you got this ethos. Where did this philosophy of living and serving come from for you? You know, it started at a very early age. I have to say I grew up in the church and my grandfather was a bishop and his parents, my great grandparents, started a national church convention and every year we would go to those church conventions and everything was about servitude. And so at a very young age, I wanted to serve. I taught Sunday school. I was always involved in our local parks and, and helping the workers there serve the community. I always supported my teachers. And then I joined leadership at a really young age. So since elementary school, I was always a part of you know the student body association. And I felt like it just went hand in hand with what I was learning in church every week and Sunday and my whole family on my dad's side. They're all missionaries, all the women. And that's really where I think this philosophy of serving and being a part of your community came from. In addition, I was a benefactor of others being kind and serving, right? My father was murdered when I was two years old. 
and uh, my mother and father, they were married. They had four children and my mother needed support. And a lot of people in our family and our community supported us. And as I was growing up, looking at the dichotomies that I was a part of, right? I was a part of, I was, I grew up in poverty, but because of affordable housing, I was able to grow up in communities that were working class, middle class. And so I could see these different dichotomies that I could either be a part of. And I gravitated towards those who, who were supporting my mother and, and my siblings, um, whether it be through giving us rides to sports games or encouraging my mother to put us in cheerleading and softball and things like that. And so I always wanted to give back. I always felt like, man, these people are going out on, on a limb and supporting my family in all these ways. If I get the opportunity, I want to do the same thing. So that's, that's pretty much where it came from. At a very early age, I always wanted to give back and support others, even though I was a benefactor of others doing that. Well, that's certainly a reason to want to give back. And we do also hear a lot about a lot of people who develop that ethos for giving from their spiritual organization or their faith. And so these are pretty common. What's not so common, though, is growing up with the trauma of knowing that your father was murdered. I can clearly see how that shapes you. But you could have gone in many different directions as a result of a trauma like that, right? You could have been a perpetrator yourself at some point because of anger and so forth, or you could have decided to make the most good out of this horrible situation. And it looks like that's what you chose to do. But I want to just ask you, do you feel the effects of your father's loss in ways that you can identify? Because I'm asking you this because obviously there are others who are growing up without cousins, without parents, without brothers and sisters who are all you know, taken in some way by, by violence. And I'm just curious how that has affected you and if that has affected you in ways that you can identify. Yes, absolutely. You know, I grew up for a long time without my father. I, I don't have any working memory of my father, to be honest with you, but it, it's not a year that goes by that I can remember that I don't think. How would life be had I had my father? Or, or I think about when I turned 24 you know, my dad, my dad was murdered when he was 24. And I remember at the age of 24, I remember feeling like how much more life I wanted to achieve, how many goals I had set forth that I wanted to get to that I had not yet. And how my father was so young. I, so I think about it all the time. It, it res, It's with me. And part of the reason why I do what I do is because I know that a lot of the children in our program a lot of adults that I work with, they're either experiencing the same trauma that I experienced, whether it be the loss of a father or a friend. A lot of us have experienced loss from gun violence, and my dad was murdered by a gun, with a gun. And so part of the work that I do 
is because I know that there are people out there like me who need the support that my mother needed, right? Or that I needed as a kid. And so my dad's murder is something that I carry with me all the time. It's something I think about very, very often. Can I ask you about your mother? Yeah. Um, she must have must be a pretty incredible woman to raise you the way that she had and also raise you without your father in her life at the time. Tell me about her. What was so amazing about her that she was able to do this as a as a single woman, at least for a time? You know, what's what's amazing about my mother is that she probably she well, she graduated from high school in special education classes. My mother probably reads at a fifth grade level, but she was very determined to make sure that all of her children went to college. My mother is the kindest person that you would ever meet. My brother were involved in gangs very early on. We grew up in Los Angeles and she obviously didn't want that to happen, but she would do her best to make sure that like his friends and people that he was connected with, that she was there for them and trying to encourage them to change their lives. Many of them are still alive. Many of them have changed their lives. My brother has changed his life, owns a business. And I do attribute my mother to the turnaround of my brother, just supporting him and being there with him through his his ups and downs. But my mother, in a simple way of saying it, is kind. She, hmm. yeah, she's just so kind. She's a yes person, you know. I hmm. oftentimes... Would, would talk to her about that, but the sweetest woman you will ever know always has a smile on her face, never has said a word negative about anybody. And I mean anybody. That's the part of my mother that I think I carry the most is just her kindness. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother also um, didn't have much of a formal education. She left school when she was 13 when her mother died at childbirth. And we know that we're hearing a lot about, even today, women dying, Black women in particular, dying at much greater rates during childbirth. But she was left without a mother at a very early age and was somehow wise enough with the help of other people to raise two sons, too. So I feel your your situation. I understand your mother. Yeah. Even though I've never met her. I understand your mother. I understand your mother. I want to ask you, um, shift a minute, just to talk about what you currently do. You work at Homeward Bound of Marin. Tell me about the program. What do you do there? You're the chief operating officer. What's the work of Homeward Bound Marin? Yeah, I absolutely love Homeward Bound. Shout out to Homeward Bound of Marin for any of those that are listening today. It's a lot of folks there who are just givers of their time and their service. We have an incredible team at Homeward Bound, and I get to sit on the leadership team and get to help shape the culture and support all of our staff. You know, at Homeward Bound, we have various programs. We're a nonprofit organization that's working to end homelessness in Marin County, and we're being creative with the way we end homelessness. 
the first way is by building more affordable housing. That's one of the number one ways in homelessness, especially in California. We need more affordable housing and Homeward Bound is doing that in one of the most expensive counties in our country. So we build affordable housing. We also build shelters, homeless shelters, and we manage homeless shelters. We manage permanent supportive housing, but we also have a social enterprise arm. And with that, we have a, a training academy, a culinary training academy, and an event center where we offer our culinary skills, right? And we sell dog treats in whole food stores and across the country in various ways, but we sell uh, dog treats called Wagster treats. So if you go to your local Whole Foods, they will be there. And they're also in Pet Food Express. So Homeward Bound is, is an amazing organization. It's, you know, no offense to any other organization I've worked for, nonprofit, but it's it's the best nonprofit that I've ever worked for because of all the things that we're doing, but also how we how we support each other at, in our teams and how we we're answering to the community that we're serving. Well, homelessness, I understand, is a major problem in your area. And you mentioned yourself how expensive it is to live in your county. And so how are you able to, how, I guess my big question is, how are people able to, to function out there if they don't have, for instance, the right type of employment or if they are unable to even get a job in the first place, or if they have other issues that keep them from working? How are people able to manage? I understand people who are working full time are still struggling to find homes and places to live. How do we do it? How is it done? What's the scope of the problem? That's a great question. And I think that People in California, that's what we're talking about in the Bay Area, in order to survive, whether you are employed or not, it it makes sense to, number one, have some knowledge of financial education, which is why, you know, prior to coming to Homeward Bound, I was really involved in self-sufficiency education. And I, I served as the director of Spark Point Marin, which is the nonprofit organization that runs a one-stop financial resource center for low to moderate income individuals. And we taught financial education and debt management and first-time home buyer workshops and career coaching. And so you you gotta have that knowledge. You got to be able to manage the money that you're making when you're when you're living in the Bay Area. And then and then there's some folks who simply because of the cost of living the cost of housing, particularly here, they need subsidized housing or they need programs like CalWORKs and they need subsidies until they get back on their feet, until they have that self-sufficiency. And so it's so key that the community supports each other. And that's where givers come into play, right? We couldn't do the work that we do here, whether it be the work that I was doing at SparkPoint where we were supporting folks with repairing their credit for free without givers, without donations. 
uh, Spark Point is a part of United Way Bay Area. So those who were giving to United Way Bay Area were supporting the efforts that we were doing in Marin. And then with Homeward Bound, so many of our private donors, they're local community members. And we know that there is wealth in Marin County, but but if people did not share it with us as they do with Homeward Bound, we wouldn't be able to do the work we do. So when you ask, how do you make it work? It's through community effort, it's through givers, it's through nonprofit employees who are sacrificing their time because we do work a lot and we work hard to make all of this come together because we care. You, you have to have a, a purpose for this work in order to, to, to work in social services. Well, you know, you think about the area in which you live, the Bay Area, and what comes to mind oftentimes is the tech industry and the millions and millions of dollars that people are making as a result of an app that they created or a startup business or one of the more established tech firms and all of the companies that are derived from from those kinds of organizations. And so your initial thought is the beauty of the Bay Area and how lovely everything looks when you come out there to visit and and the Golden Gate Bridge. That's and, beautiful. You know, all of all of the beauty that is the Bay Area. And yet we also know that there are people who are who are really struggling. People who can't even make make ends meet, people who don't eat every day, um, I'm sure. And how can we live in a society, you have to ask yourself, I guess, where you can have such a dichotomy, right? Where you can have people who are some of the wealthiest in the world right alongside of people who are struggling to find a place to live or people who are living on the streets or people who, who can't even eat. And I just, I guess I wonder from your perspective, what draws you to want to contribute in some way to making that change? And and do we really have a chance, Lucinda, do we have a chance to create a more equitable community out in the Bay Area where we don't have to have people struggling just to make ends meet? Do we have a chance? And if if we do, how do we make that happen? Wow. You know, I wish I had all the answers, but I have to say, we have to have hope. We have to have hope. We have to try. We have to put forth an effort to create that equity, because if we don't, we're going to all have a problem. You know, one of the things we've been saying in our community around homelessness is that homelessness is not just a problem for those who are experiencing experiencing homelessness. Homelessness is all of our problem that we have to solve. We all, this is our community. These are our brothers and sisters who are without home and we have to find a way to support them. And so I do think the way that, I, I don't have all the answers. Of course. But I will say- one of the best ways is to create affordable housing, which is what Homeward Bound is doing. 
Another thing is we just need policies to help with rent control and things like that. In California, a couple of initiatives went through a couple of years ago, right before COVID. Some that are helping people create like in-law units in their homes more quickly, regulating Airbnb in different counties. So there's a there's a lot of things that need to happen, but I just think with affordable housing and addressing some of the rent increase issues will be on the right path towards mm-hmm. fixing the balance mm-hmm. or the imbalance we have, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. Well, you, you obviously have hope. What gives you hope? So what gives me hope is that I continue to see acts of kindness and service that are supporting the work that we're doing at Homeward Bound. And in my own life, things have happened that are pretty miraculous that I just, sometimes I have to take a step back and can't believe that that happened. But I think it's because I have faith, because I have hope. I attract, I'm attracting those things. And so I'll share this. I purchased my home, my first home in the Bay Area before I was 30 in one of the roughest neighborhoods in California. (laughs) And I lived there. I sat on the municipal municipal advisory council, active in my community. And I lived there for almost nine years and I was completely okay. But last year I had a goal that I did want to live in a better neighborhood. Um, I started looking and I got really, really blessed. I purchased in a million dollar neighborhood, a multi-million dollar neighborhood, and I paid right under a million dollars for my home. And I was fortunate to pay that amount because of a white woman who have been a part of a racial justice group for many years in Oakland, in my neighborhood, my current neighborhood, Oakmore. She wanted to sell her home to a Black family or Black woman because she believes in reparations. Mm. And so she sold to me under market. I didn't go around looking for that. That came to me. Mm. And part of the reason it came to me is because one of my colleagues at Homework Bound lives in that community. And she sits on that that racial equity group in that neighborhood and understood my former owner, who's now my friend, by the way. She understood her desire to sell to a Black family or Black woman, and she knew that I was looking. And my colleague told her about me, and then I looked at the home, and I loved it. I fell in love with it, and it was a match. And so I feel like if I was not walking in my purpose, if I had not been kind to my colleague who is not on the leadership team, she she was in a different role at that time. If I had not been kind, if I had not been walking in my purpose, she would not have said my name, right? And so those are those acts of kindness that you just don't believe And they keep happening and they happen at Homeward Bound all the time. And so 
that is why I continue to do this work. I have faith because I keep seeing so many great things happen. And I love that I get to be a part of that. I love doing the show because of people like you. Yeah, I know it's it's pretty emotional art. I just feel incredibly blessed. But it's not just about because I feel blessed. I also just feel, wow, there's there's people out in the world who are that kind. That gives me hope. The news media never shows things like that. No, no. You mentioned that you just walk in your purpose and things happen. And so many of us may be just sitting on the side thinking, I can't do it. I don't have time. I don't have money. I'd like to see change, but what can I do? And sometimes it's just getting rolling. It's just doing a little bit, doing something, right? And I don't know about you, but you know we're getting kind of spiritual here. But it seems to me that when that happens, when you start, then other forces come to play. And your support, the support that you need to accomplish what you have in mind, just begins to gravitate towards you. The energy starts to gravitate towards you if you're committed. I guess I want to know, what what do you say to people who are sitting on the sidelines right now feeling that they're powerless and that there's little they can do to change not only their own situation, but the situation in the communities in which they live. What do you say to them? I had the opportunity when I was at Spark Point and when I was a financial coach before that to meet with a lot of folks who would ask me that, what do I do? They wanted to create change in their life. They wanted to have financial stability. They just needed to know where to start. And I would always tell them that they had to start with their goals. They had to really sit down with themselves and really set out what was their goals. What do they want to achieve? Write those out. And then start to look at what's in the way of achieving those goals right now. And a lot of times it would be themselves. It would be their habits some some bad habits, right? And so we would talk about knocking out those bad habits and and how to set up systems in your life to knock out those bad habits. And once they got to setting the goals and understanding the barriers, then it could be one step at a time. Knock it off, chip it chip at it one step at a time. And I would tell everybody it everything's Everything starts with a goal. And the next step is that just one step at a time. It's difficult when you come from when you come from poverty. It is difficult to see light at the end of the tunnel often, especially when you look around and you don't have someone in your family that you could borrow money from or have that step up. But if you could get a job 
and you can learn skills, you can keep going and you can keep chipping at where you're trying to get to. And it, it, it won't always be easy, but it will get easier as you create systems in your life. And I think that's the message that I always try to share with people is that it's about creating a system in your life to make things a little easier. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy because nothing's easy. Like I saw something recently that said, you know, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Right. Making a lot of money and being rich can be hard. Being poor is hard. Choose your heart. Mm -hmm. And so every day we wake up, we have a choice to make at what side do we want to work towards being at? And you just make one step towards that direction that you want to go to. And if you don't make any steps, then you're actually choosing the other side. Yeah. Let me ask you, what would you say to, if you could get 10 billionaires from your community in a room, what would you say to them? And I know that there are lots of billionaires who do give, so I'm not saying to anyone, you, know, you, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, but I just want to know, what would you say to those billionaires about their responsibility to their community? What would you say to them about this challenge that you're taking on, on behalf of not only the people who need help, but on behalf of them too, would you say to them? I would tell them that they became billionaires, clearly either some sort of way by the individual people who are either given to their businesses or gave to their parents' businesses. I don't know how they became a billionaire, but people, the little guy is part of the reason why they are where they are. And because of that, they have a responsibility to give back. They also have a responsibility to give back just because of being human, right? We're all human. We're all in this world together and we should support each other. And I would encourage them to look to those individuals who are living this very completely different life than they are to better understand the needs of that community and work with the leaders in their community, the leaders that are in nonprofit organizations working to solve these very issues of homelessness and poverty. Sit in a room with all of those leaders and include leaders who are experiencing homelessness and poverty and hear from them about how can they help those organizations and those communities and and go from there i think their responsibility is a, is about making sure they get back to understanding the issues of these communities that they really don't even understand anymore i can't imagine they understand what it means to to struggle to own a home in the Bay Area, right? To struggle to buy food. They they need to hear those things. They need to hear the real stories so that they can get back connected. Because I can't imagine billionaires being very connected 
and it would take a lot of effort from them to be connected. And I'm not saying every billionaire is not connected, but I think the ones that are connected, they make that effort to be connected. And I think it's their responsibility to remain connected to the realities of our world and that they work with leaders that are making a difference to contribute to that difference. And and I'm going to also say a piece that we talked about earlier, Art. I would share with them compounded interest, right? Mm. Right? How they understand that very well. And I would share with them how they're giving to organizations like Homework Bound, like CHDC in North Richmond, uh, like the Rise Center. When they give to these organizations that are doing the real work, they're giving times 10, 20, 100 because they're giving to the organization, but they're giving to the staff that work there and they're giving to the purpose of our staff. And as I was saying earlier, whenever we get a donation at Homeward Bound, I always feel like that person has just given to my purpose. And I feel like my purpose in life is to to support organizations, to support staff, to support neighborhoods that are trying to improve themselves. And when you give in that way, you're just giving always. It's just a continual effort. That one gift is just going to magnify. And so I like to think of it as compounded interest, which I think is a term that billionaires, they definitely understand. (laughs) Well, we're getting to the end, but I do have to ask you one last question. Also, when I read about you, there's a statement that you make which says, I understand people, I listen, and I sincerely enjoy building bridges to improve services. What do you mean by building bridges? Because I think building bridges is so key in this polarized world that we live in, this world where we are assigned filter bubbles and the tech algorithms sort of feed us information because we like hearing that and we don't get to connect and understand each other in the way that you just suggested, perhaps billionaires and maybe others too need to need to get to know people who are outside of their communities. What do you say when you mention that? I'm sure you mentioned building bridges for a reason. What do you mean by that? What does that mean for you? Well, what I mean by that is I've always felt like I can connect to anybody that when I say I understand people, if you put me in a room with billionaires, I'm not going to be afraid to talk to them and ask questions and get to know them. And I always feel like part of my job as a leader is really to get to know people, to build relationships with people. And so I feel like that's what I do. I get I go and I connect with people. I don't care what communities they're from. But I think because I have always felt like I've been a part of various dichotomies, you know, I grew up in this household that, you know, we were pretty poor, but then out in the world, I went out in the world and I was just who I am. And you would not know that if I go into whatever circle I go into, I can connect. And so when I say I build bridges, I love to build bridges with people and with organizations. So I worked at a law firm for a while, and that's a whole different world from nonprofit. And I do feel like all of our worlds need to connect. 
when we're trying to make real work happen. If we didn't have great attorneys that we can call on at Homeward Bound, we wouldn't be able to continue to do our work, right? So that's what I mean by building bridges. It's building bridges between people and also sectors that don't normally talk to each other, right? The government sector working with the nonprofit organizations, those connections are important. Um, And I feel like that's what I've been able to do primarily because whoever I talk to, whatever sector they're a part of, engineering doesn't matter. I'm going to pull out the human side. I'm going to connect to you on a just person-to-person level. And once you can do that with somebody, it's easier to just have this relationship with them that you can ask the questions that you need and you can figure out how you guys could support each other and making shifts in your community. Well, Lysandra, I can't tell you how much I've loved this interview. I've just loved talking to you. I I really enjoyed it too. Thank you. I'm, I'm really so full right now. And I want to just wish you all blessings, continued blessings, I should say. And I hope that we'll be able to keep in touch so that I can follow and maybe contribute in some way to your work. I also want to encourage anyone who's listening to the show to check in with you. I know you're on LinkedIn. You can follow her on LinkedIn, maybe even send her some money if she needs some help for her work. There's a lot of people in need out in the Bay Area and you're you're doing what you can. To all who are listening to this show, thank you for tuning in. If you want to, you can certainly follow us on all major podcast platforms. And that helps us build audience, which is obviously important. And if you want to contribute to the Heart of Giving podcast, you can do that also by making a gift at give.org, G-I-V-E dot O-R-G. Thank you for listening. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.